0: Hello! Uh, welcome to another special episode. I am V, uh, the founder of the Racial Trauma Task Force and the first honorary student in the Empower Lab. I am a doctoral candidate in the clinical psychology program at UGA and I want to leave a legacy for students to learn about funding opportunities in graduate school as I prepare to go on internship as a fifth year student. So. I hope you enjoy uh, this little workshop on the different sort of funding opportunities and tips that I've learned in applying for different fellowships, grants, and scholarships. I hope you enjoy this content. Um, So um, just to get started, um, this will basically be uh, a workshop or like a fairly brief workshop on kind of what to do for repurposing any sort of um, rejected fellowship applications you might have applied for how we cope with rejection, and what, where you can go from there. Um, it'll I, We kind of combine um, an introduction to fellowships in general so that in case you're seeing this for the first time, you didn't necessarily submit, you can also um, incorporate that feedback and learn a little bit about fellowships in general. Um, so we'll be talking about that. And we'll just for an introduction on why you should trust us. Um, we'll have, um, just a brief in- introduction on and kind of the different fellowships and awards that we've received, right? So in my second year here, I received the Ford Foundation Fellowship, which is a fellowship administered by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. Um, and that's a 27, $27,000 stipend, um, for three years. Um, I also Received an Apex fellowship, which is sort of like a smaller fellowship that you can apply for to get feedback on when you're submitting for NSF. Um, I also received a $20,000 scholar award from the PO Foundation. And last year also received an R36 grant from the National Institute of Health. So I I kind of hate talking about that, but I also want you to trust me. So um, just wanted to go over that briefly. And now Dominique, who's also very qualified to be leading this workshop.
1: Thank you, V. And I think I know almost everyone here. So I'm Dominique LaBerry. I am a third year BBS student with a concentration in developmental psychology. And a little bit of my background when it comes to applying I am a, currently a WEDA Fellow, and I have been for the last two years, going on three years now, as a Goizueta Fellow here at University of Georgia. I also received the twenty the APAGS award back in twenty twenty, so I'm a fellow APAGS member, or APAGS Fellow, as well as an ADAA um, recipient. Um, ADAA is the Association of Depression Anxiety Depression Association of America. Um, for those of you who haven't heard it before. It's a really small little niche area. And on top of that, I have learned from V. we are in the same lab and I have learned from her experience to just apply, apply, apply. And I am constantly applying and submitting myself out there for new awards and wherever there's any funding, like put your name in. um, I think that's gonna be one of the big takeaways from this event. So to start off, we have kind of moved recently into the time after Ford information is set out, um, Ford winners are released, um, NSF winners have just been released and all that information. So if you happen to be one of those people who did not get an award recently, that is totally okay. I think that one of the important things to think about when you're applying to fellowships and funding opportunities is to celebrate every victory, even those small victories. So for instance, I have heard people in the in the past received the Ford Fellowship Honorable Mention and say, well, it was just an Honorable Mention. That doesn't mean anything. I'm a Ford Fellow Honorable Mention, very proudly to say, and that actually is a big deal. There are so many people who applied to the Ford Fellowship. To get an Honorable Mention is actually a really meaningful thing that you should have on your CV because it means that your research project and your proposal made it so far that a lot of people got to see it and thought that it was really well and scored it really highly. Um, So when you receive an honorable mention from a recent application and it didn't go your way that you didn't win the whole thing, remember that those honorable mentions are still important. They're not just something that they give away to everyone either. In addition to that, I think comments should be celebrated when you get feedback from reviewers, um, especially at early on know that the fact that you put yourself out there and tried is meaningful and you can take those comments that you receive from reviewers and apply it to your future applications. Also applying it to your classwork. I have done that in the past and it's helped me a lot just succeed and create better applications for future funding opportunities that I've applied to. So definitely use that feedback to improve other areas of your work. Also, these rejections can help you apply to other awards. So one of the very first things that I heard from V in my first year of grad school was, do not ever write a new personal statement. The personal statement that got you to grad school is good, it's helpful, and it clearly got you to where you want it. Essentially what you're gonna wanna do is take that personal statement, and I use the personal statement because almost every award requires a personal statement. Every funding opportunity requires a personal statement. Being able to take that original personal statement from your grad school applications and just edit it and tailor it to whatever it is that you're applying to, and also edit to your professional development. Dominique, on day one of grad school, is different to who I am today and what I'm doing today. So I've definitely tailored it to better reflect my progress in school. And also, you submitted an application. That's a big deal. It's really scary to put yourself out there. It's really scary to think, okay, who knows who these people are? They're going to review and judge all of my writing and my ideas. And this is the area I decided to dedicate my life to in grad school. It's scary. So celebrate the fact that you just put yourself out there and nominated yourself for whatever award it may be, whether it be a giant, super cool, big money award or a small internal grant always put yourself out there and celebrate that win
0: yeah so um I thought it would be important to have this slide on like how to cope with rejection um like it's definitely I'm sure we've all been through some sort of form of rejection by the time we kind of make it to graduate school um often graduate school is like or maybe like one of first experiences with rejection but I think what I've what has been really helpful to me has always kind of been giving it a break right so it's always tough to get those reviews back and knowing that you worked really hard on it and then there's people critiquing your work it's not always easy um i would say that it all it it gets easier with time right so by by now i don't necessarily care that much and i think what has helped me stop caring as much about that negative feedback that we get sometimes is well besides exposure, which my my clinicians in the room know is one of the best methods of like getting kind of getting over that anxiety related to sort of performance is is really just taking the time to to reflect on it and when you submit an application right so I never submitted a Ford application I never submitted a PO application or an R36 application thinking that I was going to get it and I think that that's kind of the part that kind of always breaks my heart from students um, saying like I don't think I'm good enough I don't think it's about that. I never thought I was good enough. I just submitted it, and I had a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, um, in case I didn't get it. What was I gonna do? Or I was gonna submit it anyway and see what what give give what worked out. So after I get those reviews, initially some are more hurtful than others, and I always give it a break, right? So I always take a few days to kind of reflect on um kind of the the fact that i some i even submitted an application i can't believe i got it done check in and with yourself and kind of what dominique was saying don't take it personal right so make sure you know what your strengths are make sure what your plan is and reminding yourself of what that plan was going to be when you submitted it knowing well ahead of time that there was a chance you weren't going to get it kind of helps ground you a lot right? So it's not, not always about you. I So I, I put a screenshot here of my rejections because it's easy to focus on kind of what we get and just what other people get, right? So people are kind of always talking about achievements. Uh, and I think it's part of our field to try to sell ourselves. But there's also like plenty of rejections that are received. It's probably like a 50 50 chance um here of different awards that i've applied to make realizing that it's not always about you so as you can see like i don't know so the pre-doc i received um but i applied for a Ford dissertation fellowship and I didn't get it. And the pre-doc is actually more competitive than the dissertation award. And I didn't receive the dissertation award. So reminding yourself that it's not always about you or your qualifications. Sometimes it's just the award was really competitive. Maybe they have fewer slots that year. Maybe there were people who got a, reviewers who were in a better mood. Sadly, that is a big part of the review process. Um, sometimes it's all about the mood that the reviewers were in in that day who got a better set of reviewers it's also about the review pool um, if you're coming in from psychology we have so many different subfields that there's just a lot of applications um, for psychology such that there are more applicants in psychology than there are in other disciplines so reminding yourself of, it's not always about you, or it doesn't necessarily reflect poorly of your work. It's just the way things worked out that particular time. Um, revisiting your application and reading the feedback is very important too, and, and sometimes it helps to do it with a with a colleague. I think when I didn't get, so I was really salty about not receiving the dissertation award from the Ford Foundation. I'll just be open about that, and I send it. You know I. I sent it to somebody else who is a reviewer for the Ford, and I said what happened, and they were just very, like, you know, it just really helped me to kind of reflect on it and get their thoughts on what what happened this particular year, and they told me about how many more applications there were that year, and sometimes just doing it with a friend, right? A friend who can hype you up. I hope that that's why I am for, like, Dominique. When she doesn't get something, um, it's good to have, like, a lab mate who kind of hypes you up no matter what and and reminds you that, hey. And, and I think it also helps to apply for multiple ones because then as you're getting rejections, you're like, okay, so now I just have to focus on the next one or let me just go ahead and start a, another application. And then... I think being open about rejection with with your classmates, right? Um, sometimes it feels like academia is such a competitive environment that normalizing rejection, talking about rejection. We're no longer like in person as much anymore in our lab, but I know my advisor was pretty big on having this rejection board where everyone puts in their rejections, paper rejections award rejections any sort of rejections that you have so that you're not always just celebrating your your achievements but also just normalizing that rejection is a big part of our careers in, in academia and celebrating any smaller victories or what seems small but is really not like submitting a whole application is actually a major victory like pushing yourself through it is a lot so Um, reminding yourself of the fact that you submitted and sometimes that you can submit again like for the Ford, you can apply for as long as you have three years left in graduate school so you can apply as many times as long as those three years are are still pending so you can apply next time you can use that feedback reminding yourself of all of that and I think another thing that has been helpful for me personally has been always having a plan B and plan C If I didn't get this, then I'm already thinking of what am I going to do next? Because even if I get it, I'm going to apply for that second thing anyway. So just moving along with the next thing has been really helpful. And by the way, I didn't say this, but you can stop me at any time if you have any questions or you can stop either of us at any time. We want it to be interactive. We don't necessarily want to be talking at you. So feel free to interrupt at any point. V, I have a question for the fourth. The You said as long as you had three years left,
1: um, so can you just extend your PhD to have three years left, like if you get the award?
0: Well, so when you submit, you need to have a timeline um, set in your, like there's a section where they ask you for a timeline, and then you can say that you have three years left. So you could extend it and say that you're going to have an extra year. Like in my case, um, when I applied... For, I believe it was the dissertation award from the Ford, I put in that I had one more year, even though I technically had two, because in clinical, we have that extra year in internship. So you can sort of, you know, they they don't really hold you to that. So you can say that you have three more years left, even if you have two. Oh, okay, um, so it's not like... Um... Because I know there's some criteria that are, like, you have to be a second
1: year. So, like, saying you have three years left is different than saying you're a second year.
0: Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, and and there's also other options within the Ford. Like, if you have if you do have two years left, you could pro- potentially apply for the, the dissertation award as well. Okay, which cool. Which is less competitive. There's fewer applications in the pre-doc. Just because the, the pre-doc is, like, $75,000. And the dissertation award is 27. So uh, it's, okay. it's less competitive to go for the dissertation, which is why I took it so personal when I got rejected. Just normalizing salt is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? No? Okay. All right. No.
1: Okay, so addressing the feedback. I think that some of these things are things that you could for sure avoid so that very first one of your application was incomplete this is actually a really easy thing that happens some applications require super random well, let me not say random super specific things this margin has to be this amount or spacing has to be like this definitely pay attention to those details i heard of a person who like applied to a really big award did everything right and just had it turned around simply because their font was the wrong font size, I think they were like at 12 and it was required to be at 10. In my opinion, these are things that you shouldn't turn around an application for, but I totally get it. These are the guidelines that these funding opportunities or institutions have and we should follow them. But keep an eye out for these little things. And if that was your mistake on your first round of application, just be super diligent for that second round. The same goes with grammatical issues. Have someone review your work. Use Grammarly. Grammarly is like my best friend right now. I use it for absolutely everything. Um, And it makes a really big difference. Another big one that comes up with feedback is that the budget does not seem to match the scope of the project. And with this, I I think this applies more so when the application requires you to lay out what your expenses will be and what your budget will be I think APAGs had something similar to that, or maybe it was another one that I applied to that required a very detailed list of how do you plan to spend X amount of money. So make sure that that makes sense. I think that as a graduate student, it's easy to not know what, how would this money be spent? Talk to your advisor, talk to other mentors in your program. And that just as a side note, like we all have that primary mentor that we have. Um, for me, that's Ann Schaefer. but I also have plenty of other faculty members that like, I can go to and ask, like, what's your advice? Have you applied to this award? And just get that feedback from multiple people. I think that's really helpful and your advisor would encourage that. Um, I know mine definitely does. Your research is not significant or innovative. This is a tough one because when you've been spending months on months writing this thing. And it's like, no, this thing is really significant. It's super important. And this is why I'm interested in it. It may just be that the way that you wrote it the first time around was for people in that very specific area. And maybe you need to work on making it more digestible for people who are not familiar with this area. Um, That's been a trouble that I've had in the past. I've gotten feedback from multiple mentors and reviewers saying like, make this make sense, like explain to me why this is important, because to me it's just, or to that reviewer, it's not as important. And that's something that you can work on just by getting feedback from classmates, cohort mates, lab mates, mentors, and um, whoever else is kind of like in that circle of, I trust your feedback, you are the person I go to. There is not enough evidence to suggest you can achieve the aims of your project with the resources you currently have access to another common form of feedback that can come back from a reviewer. And I think that this kind of doubles down with the budget topic of maybe you're not entirely sure of how you're gonna play this project out um, in the case of a research proposal, in which case that's just something to really discuss with your mentor again. What goes into this? um, Sorry, y'all, I'm admitting more people. What goes into this project? what are the steps to complete this project? Um, Again, these are things that we're in grad school so that we can learn them. We're not expected to know these things. I was talking to a friend the other day, like we should not know these things while we're like in your first year or entering your second. These are things that you're gonna learn. And you learn these things by applying, talking to faculty, talking to mentors who can help guide you. Um, What was the next one? Um, project is great, just not good enough to be in the top. That's a tough one. <laughs> when they tell you that your project is great and there was just something missing, I think it's okay to ask, well, what was it that's missing? And you can get that feedback from mentors as well. For the Ford Fellowship, when you get your results back, you basically get kind of like a sheet with check marks on where you are, and it can be a little confusing. Where it's like, oh, all my checks are really high, so like, why didn't I make it? all the way to the top. Like, why didn't I? And as V mentioned, like, it may just be that there were a lot of people applying that year. And at the end of the day, it can be a bit of a numbers game. Um, And sometimes there's no feedback at all. I don't know. I feel like when there's no feedback at all, I kind of am okay with that because I didn't want to know why they didn't want my project. But at the same time, I don't have like a like a source to go back to and think, okay, I can grow and build on this feedback that was given me. So it's a little bit there, 50-50 there for me personally, but definitely take whatever feedback you get back from you, reviewers. And I think this is applicable not just to funding opportunities, but as you're writing papers, um, submitting conference proposals or talks or whatever it may be, using that feedback to help better your future projects
0: and here we just have a list that i could probably just put in the chat um but basically um i would recommend um signing up for these different websites that and, and we'll be sending this out to if you if you registered with the link that we put in the chat we'll, we'll send this um these slides and, and this recording in case you need to listen back to it or look at the slides and kind of put the links um, but basically word of mouth is how you hear about or how at least how i started hearing about different fellowships so asking other students what you can apply for um depending on your year like by now i've kind of applied to so many that like if you tell me what year you're in like i have a pretty good sense of like things that you might be able to apply for or what things will be good for your specific trajectory um i i think people are also happy to always share their materials like as long as you You know everyone has this sort of disclaimer don't share them without telling me Um, and everyone's kind of been helpful in sharing their own applications Um, i would also recommend joining like professional listservs like in my case it's division 53 because it has to do with children and families Um, so they have or srcd also has um SRCD specific awards that you can apply for. So if you're into children, that would be like two good listservs that you can join to learn about awards for those particular fields. Um, I also um, put NIH reporter here because sometimes your topic is great, but you don't know how to sell it. And I think that's something that I learned from my public health background. Public health people are always about prevalence how many people are affected how much money are we spending in this particular problem so being able to put a statistic in your very first sentence can sometimes make a difference in whether you're gonna attract your audience or not because maybe your topic is is amazing but the way you write it about it is very sterile, um, which is the way we're expected to write in academia. Ironically, but it's not the best method of writing for selling your ideas, and and I think sometimes as graduate students, it's hard to sell ourselves because we're kind of going in through this like sort of long term um journey that where we kind of don't see the end all the time and so it's hard to sell yourself as an expert but that is something that you need to learn how to do in terms of getting funding and i put nih reporter here because sometimes just searching for people who are doing your kind of research can help you learn and and an nih reporter they just basically put like a what they call a narrative or a project summary so it's just a paragraph um consolidating like a you know my, my NIH application was 90 pages so summarizing 90 pages in a paragraph and so that tells you how people are framing your problems um your kind of problems and i mean i'm not saying go copy it but you can kind of get ideas of how people are framing and selling their ideas to get all these like million dollars of funding and when honestly Maybe it's not as good as your idea, but they just know how to sell it. And that is a reality that, like, as graduate students, we don't always want to think about because that's not maybe where we're at. But that is an important piece of of getting money in graduate school. Any questions about these? Um, I did want to highlight the APA one because in that one you can put dates. Um, and you can select your specialty, and I love that one because I'm like, well, whenever I have some sort of like downtime, um, whatever that means, is like I'll just put in dates like, oh, in this time I can probably submit a few awards. So, you know, like for me it tends to be summer. And so I put in, I, I want awards that I can apply for from May to July, and then I'll just make a list of those things so that whenever I have time to reformat my personal statement, um, from graduate school, for my Ford or whatever, I can just submit for those as well. So I would recommend joining t- for those, to those
2: as well. I have a question. Yeah. Um, what is the average length of the applications? Um, like what was maybe like the shortest one that you've done and then the longest? Because I know you mentioned one was like 90 pages. Okay. Um, Yes, and can they be more difficult to, I guess, like, tailor, depending on um, which one you're applying to? Um, like, how long does that usually take? Yeah, so
0: the shortest one that I've turned in was probably my forward one, which ironically was the same money, the same amount of money for my longest one, which is NIH. Um, so uh, my forward one was probably five pages because I – It was three pages for the personal statement, two pages for my research proposal, and just a list of my publications for my research productivity. So that was some of my shorter ones. For APAGs, it's actually just the NSF application that you're sending, so it's about the same length. I would say most applications are in the two to three page range for the personal statement, and Uh, research proposals tend to be two to three pages as well sometimes they ask for like an additional one but they're all kind of the same and i should say these are worth working on especially for for the clinical people here because a lot of my submissions for applications were recycled for my internship essays um so i recycle everything like i'm not i'm not starting anything from scratch so yeah, that's a great question. Would you agree with that, Dominique? What, what was your longest and your shortest?
1: I feel like my shortest was also Ford with the same amount of page length. I can't remember what my longest has been. Maybe eight packs, but I've also applied to a few things that I, like, I haven't, that I was rejected from that I just don't remember how long they were, but I feel like they were potentially longer and that's why I've blocked them out of my memory. And then another thing to add to this, like, I don't know how I see that there are people from multiple different departments here. In the psych department here, we tend to get one email, like an email per semester with a list of all of the awards from the graduate school. Sometimes that email comes out a little bit later and it's really close to the deadlines for these applications. But what I've done in the past is I make note of which ones I'm interested in for next year. And I use that because the application materials are not gonna change. And if they do, it's gonna be very minor changes. So I will like make a list of, okay, this award is due early February. So let me just put that on my agenda. So that come in the fall semester, I can start talking to my mentor like, hey girl, there's this award that I'm interested in February. Could we talk about this now and like just start that process of what goes into it, especially if it requires a research proposal. Um, This is mostly like if you're, Earlier on in your program, if it requires a research proposal and you're still figuring out what the heck research do I want to do, which is totally fine and valid, it gives you that little bit of extra time to start thinking about it. Lee, did you have anything else for this slide or should we move on?
0: I'm happy to move on if uh, you all don't have any more questions.
2: I don't see any questions.
0: Thank you for the questions, by the way. It's more fun to stop and
2: chat. Um,
1: Okay, so how to prepare. Um, Definitely applying for smaller grants early on in grad school, that helps you a lot. So in my first year, I applied to a few small internal grants that came up through the graduate school or came up through the psych department. And just that really helps you with kind of just getting your footing of what goes into an application Um, I kind of like to think of it as these small internal grants or small internal funding opportunities. The larger ones are just going to be a little bit of an extended format of that. Again, personal statement, research productivity slash your CV and a research proposal. Those are typically going to be the big chunks. And now that I think about it, I think the longest application I had was my SREB application, which did not get funded, but it's okay. I'll apply again for their dissertation projects. Um, The next thing that you want to think about is other resources that you can use for support in writing a competitive proposal. Um, There's a link there that we can send in the chat where you can just get some um, some feedback and help with figuring out what goes into your application materials. And definitely starting early. So as I mentioned, I kind of have a list of These are the dream places that I want to apply to, or this is just everything that I want to apply to, Um, whatever works better for you. And making note of what are the similarities between these things? What can I repurpose and recycle, which should essentially be everything and using that over and over again and figuring out how can I tailor this thing for SRAB isn't due in January? How can I start tailoring it earlier on, or just start Get your wheels thinking about what you want to do or how you want to edit it. Review program websites again, make very clear notes of font size, spacing that they require, margins. It would it hurts so much when you get a rejection or get feedback that like you just didn't meet these very small requirements that they had. So make note of all of those small little things because you don't want that to happen to you. It can hurt online application components. So for Ford, for example, you have to send in those three primary documents, but you also have to send in, I think it's like proof that you're a student, something like that. Like for me, I usually get Elizabeth in our department. She kind of like just helps with everything. Just a letter saying like Dominique LaBerry is a student at UGA and she is doing well. Like it's just something as simple as that. Um, so keep an eye out for those kind of little things, a lot of different applications or funding opportunities ask for that kind of information. Um, pay attention to your application instructions, just as I've said. Content and technical help available. I don't remember what we meant by that, B, Do you remember the technical help?
0: Yeah, so there are some sort of um, larger awards, like I know for NIH, for example, if you're ever submitting um, a grant for them, we have an internal research office that helps you um, if they actually require an internal deadline. So, for example, if you're submitting an NIH application for September 7th, you will need to have your materials turned into the research office like 10 days before so that they can do an internal check to make sure your margins and everything is perfect for submission. And then they submit it to NIH there's also like smaller grants like I know the the Ford they have like a technical office if you have questions about eligibility if you have questions uh, for NIH as well they tend kind of tend to have both an anonymous helpline and they all they they all love to answer questions like I know one of the things that I need needed to get over um, in regards to like anxiety and this whole process was emailing project officers who are like the the sort of leaders on the on the different awards that get posted and that's actually that was actually silly of me because they love helping they love answering questions because they want your application so emailing them and kind of getting your name in the radar actually almost gives you like a little advantage because you're getting your name in the in their radar so ask questions if if you don't want to ask directly ask applicants but i can promise you if they have any sort of line any sort of email on there it's because they want your questions
1: that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that for ford so yeah being consistent in your narrative parts of the application. So this is referring more so to your personal statements, being consistent with what you're trying to say in your personal statement. So I'll use my own, for example, for Ford. Well, for most of my applications, I really discuss how sharing the academic hidden curriculum is really important to me. Um, And for me personally, I definitely consider that part of my academic mission and creating representation in the field and in my little field of developmental psych, being consistent with that, like if I start that as my opening, like, these are the things that I'm passionate about, and then I jump to something that's totally different, and it's like, well, where's the connection so making making sure that there is a flow that makes sense for the reader so that they can really understand where you're coming from what's what's motivating you to want to, to need this money and that you deserve this money and also using that to sell yourself in your personal statements especially i think that's where you want to try and sell yourself and show like i am the best candidate i deserve this funding because of these reasons. And I've stated this here because your research proposal needs to be on point. But I think that it's easy to focus only on the research proposal and kind of lack in the personal statement. Both of these things are equally important. Don't let it kind of lack in one or the other. And your letters of recommendation. So I personally, when I applied my first year to anything that I applied to, I asked my grad school letter of application people to write me letters of application so all of my mentors from Georgia State and Grady Trauma those were my letter writers for Ford SREB and whatever else I applied to that first year in addition to my mentor here at UGA that was because I knew that they could write me a strong letter because it got me this far it got me into grad school so I know they have good things to say about me They already had a letter ready. They just needed to edit and tailor to this specific funding mechanism. So it made the letter writing much easier on their end. And also I had strong connections with them. They know me well, they know my work ethic, they know what my interests are. And in my first year in particular, I was still cultivating those relationships with mentors at UGA. Now that I'm in my third year, I definitely have other faculty members that I would feel comfortable and strong with asking them for a letter of recommendation um, and kind of replacing some of those undergrad people just because I think that it's important to show that you have current people in your, your like people who have your back at this current level, not just, okay, you're in your third year. why are you still asking Dr. Wireman from GSU to like write this letter? like what's going on here? like is there no one else at UGA who's willing to do it? So, showing those little things. Shout out to Dr. Wireman if she sees this or listens to this later on. So yeah, I think making sure that you're building those relationships, but early on, it's totally fine to have those undergrad letter writers. And that's just gonna change as you progress. So we'll move on to the next slide.
0: Yeah, and, and on that topic of letter writers, by the way, sometimes people are, there's this sort of weird dynamic in psychology where like somebody asking you to help them draft your letter um you know is frowned upon but i come from a medical background and people have asked me to draft my letter for them because they we sort of had that relationship where they could ask me to do something and i was happy to do it and that has served me really well because you know if i my my project right so i'll just briefly go over my my ford foundation application was on psychometrics. So um the there's a quant piece, there was a child piece, and then there was sort of the broader application or the broader implications of my research. And so I had um two biostatisticians um say they wanted me to write a letter which I was glad because as you know biostatisticians are really good with numbers but letters well if if they would have written it it would have been a one of one one-liner of like she's amazing give her the ford whatever um so then they i actually took that opportunity to write myself a three-page letter on how great my quantitative background is um and that helped then i told the child a child person to focus on my child background my Clinical experience, and then the other people commented on my research potential and what the broader application of my research was going to be. So, you can all, um, and if you have that, that, that in some of those cases I was comfortable with writing it or they asked me to write it. In other cases, you can just tell your letter writer, Hey, because you've supervised me on this particular topic, I would love it if you would focus on how this experience that I have with you is going to help me in being able to execute this particular project. So being very strategic and in who you ask for your um, letters of recommendations and how you're asking them to frame it. So hopefully you've cultivated those relationships enough so that you're comfortable asking for that it has been like another piece of advice, which is gonna be essential for when applying for like NIH awards too, but I think uh, I've just done it with every single word that I applied to and has worked out so far, so. Um, that would be another thing that I would highlight. So, any questions about that? That slide that Dominique went through, by the way, before we get into the project proposal. All right, all right, sorry. Um, so project proposal. Um, I something that I inherited from like my NIH background again. It's just being able to have headings in in your um application right so even if it doesn't require headings i will throw in a heading unless they explicitly say not to because when you're reviewing different things like i am now like a reviewer for like different journals and i've realized how annoying it is to just review a paper that just says introduction method um, results and discussion like could you be any more? like insensitive to your reader like there there needs to be a little bit more of a division i think in the in the way that you're writing so that these are people who are reviewing nine to ten applications right or maybe like four to five so how do how do you catch their attention how do you summarize things for them so if you have a main sentence in a paragraph bold that underline that do something to make it stand out so that you're summarizing each paragraph for them so that when they're writing your reviews they can just almost take that out and summarize the project um and use that information to rate you and whoever gets that information out of you from a bold or underlined text is gonna really like your application because of that because everybody else might have not used that so i think that that makes a big difference um i think if there is space always include a figure especially for people if you are in a very technical field um that isn't necessarily digestible to others having a figure that summarizes your what you're doing is great i think that the four doesn't let itself bear well to that because it's such a short um such a short application but if there are applications where you can include it i would recommend that i definitely did that for apegs so i would um if you're able to do that that's great Uh, My system for having things reviewed has always been having a peer review it first and then sending it to my advisor or and always sending it to a second person. Um, So not just and my advisor, but also sending it to someone else who understands other areas of the field. Right, so. When I was writing my R36 application for NIH, I consulted Larry Sweet for my grant writing, my, my grant language. Um, I consulted my advisor, who's an expert in, in sort of children and families and parenting, on the parenting aspects. And then I had a third person um, cons- just reviewing the quantitative pieces, um, just because you need to have different experts to be able to build certain types of applications. But there's also kind of smaller things that, you know, you may be you, you may be afraid to ask, like, professors for. So, like, grammatical errors just does it make sense to somebody who has absolutely no background in any of these because there's a chance you're going to get a reviewer who has no background in, or specialty in your field. So making sure that your classmate understands it is just as good as having your advisor understand it and it might actually be more beneficial because your advisor is already used to your writing so they probably understand you a little bit more than somebody who, with no background on your writing or anything. Um, so that kind of ties into the next one which is avoiding excessive jargon and which I know we kind of all struggle with. Um, so making sure that it's understandable for just about anybody, that, that's helpful as well for including a peer. I'm including ambitious but realistic timelines, even if they don't explicitly ask for it, it gives you another layer of making it sound like you're ready to execute this project. That I've planned it out, I've thought of difficulties, I've thought of potential setbacks and how I'm gonna address them. That people wanna know that you're gonna do it. They're not necessarily funding your project, they're funding you. So the fact that you're able to think through ahead, always having a timeline, it's going to be beneficial for your application in any in every regard. I would say this is something that I always, um, so I, I regularly review things for students, and I, I think we all like to sort of repeat ourselves. In, and in short applications, that, that does nothing for you. So being concise in what you're saying and not repeating yourself again and again is going to be great unless you're, repeating yourself about the impact of your research and always um, i think because most of us are mentors in some capacity i think it's always important to make sure that you include your mentors and your applications because that's going to show the reviewer um, that you're going to have the support even if you're not prepared even if someone has doubts about your capacity to execute a project No, them knowing that you have somebody to help you through that process is going to be great so in my case right my most of my proposed projects have been on parenting and so i always try to say my advisor is an expert in this area and uh, i pursued training with her explicitly and specifically because of her training in this area and this is the training that i need to pursue my broader goals so always give a shout out to the people in your team any questions about this Okay, so moving on to the next
1: slide. So reviewing the application, having your uh, application reviewed by others, it's useful, especially in those instances where you didn't get feedback. Um, so for one that I did not receive, I think it was SREB. I did not get any feedback, and what I ended up was to do, what I ended up doing was I asked one of my lab mates to like, hey, would you mind reading this after I got the rejection, like. Was there anything very clearly wrong that maybe I missed or I could have done better? Or like if you were the reviewer, or is there anything that you would have liked me to have seen change or add or anything that was missing just to kind of get, I needed that closure. I needed to know what was wrong, but it was helpful because I got feedback that was really beneficial to me. And I was able to apply that feedback from my lab mate towards my next Ford fellowship, which was really helpful. And also to classwork. So I have learned and I've gotten this feedback multiple times that I write the way that I talk and I talk very disorganized. I will jump from one topic to the next, to the next, and then circle around back and mix it up. And I really do write like that. Like the content is there, but the organization, eh, it's a mess. So that's feedback that I was able to get from a lab mate on an application It wasn't that bad on the application and looked at it. Like it wasn't horrible, but there were still things that like my lab mate was able to say like, maybe it would have made more sense if this followed this, or if this had started this paragraph. Um, And I'm able to use that in my writing just generally. Um, Review by other successful applicants. V is my gold standard of like, I trust her word when it comes to applications and I trust her opinion when it comes to my applications especially not just because she is so successful, but because our areas do overlap to a certain extent. Um, We're interested in similar populations, we're interested in families, kids, emotion regulation. So it makes sense to ask her, hey, you applied to this thing and you got it, would you mind looking at mine and just giving me some some feedback? What's missing? Am I not being clear? Getting that feedback from faculty as well, not just your mentor, But other faculty also. I also ask, I have one like go-to person, a friend of mine, who is, gosh, what is he in? He's in public health, does nothing with kids or emotion regulation. Like this is the stuff that's like, I he is not into this. This is not his area. But I do always ask him for his review on my applications on my writing just generally to let me know, like, first of all, grammatically, after I've done Grammarly, grammatically, does this still work? Am I making sense? Is my flow good? And you, as a person who is not immersed in this field, like my faculty, the faculty members are, my mentor and my lab mates, as a person who's not immersed in this, does this make sense to you? just as we said earlier, one, you may have reviewers who are not in your area or not as well versed in your area. And two, for me personally, I want to get better and improve on my science communication. I want to be able to take what my research proposals are and make sure that Jane Doe walking down the street can read this and get something from it and understand it. Um, again, that's part of my personal academic mission is making research more accessible to everyone. So by having my friend who was like, not in this field, review it and tell me like, yeah, Dominique, this makes sense. I get, I get the kid stuff. I get it. Be okay with it. And I'm like, okay, we can move on. Um, establishing a clear timeline of when you will have your drafts ready. If you have a really busy, busy mentor or whoever it is that's going to be reviewing your applications, having some sort of timeline of like, I want to have this personal statement done by this date, letting them know what that is so that you can both be on the same, what's the word I'm looking for, like be on the same timeline so that it's not like three days before the application is due and you're like, oh, I need feedback on these three or four documents and a letter of recommendation. No, excuse me, that's not going to happen. So having that timeline established a little bit earlier on, figuring out what your goals are refining, it takes time to refine your documents like the um, exhibited earlier, she had 30 drafts at one point for one document that's fine um, for some people it's going to be just as much I know for me I have many many drafts before I have a document that I'm like ready to submit and that's because I'm able to have a longer timeline talk to Ann about this and figure out just doing that back and forth with edits and feedback plan to go through more than one round of review I think I've kind of stated that a few times you want to review this a few times I also do a final review right before I submit just to like catch any extra periods or commas. I'm like, where did that come from? And just being on top of what um, what I'm trying to say and making sure that my statements are making sense. And don't take any of the reviews or feedback that you get, whether it be from a reviewer or whether it be from a friend or your mentor or your lab mate, don't take it personal. I learned very early on that the more feedback I get from Anne, the more read that there is in that document, is a demonstration of her wanting me to get it right and do well. So more feedback, more edits, more comments are going to be helpful rather than someone who's just reading it, telling you, hey, this is good, move on. They probably didn't take that much time with it. There's always something that can be improved. And be humble. It can hurt your ego when so- when you get a document back or you get a review back and it's just like, oh, what was I writing this this makes me feel so sad that like this person reviewed it and didn't get anything of what I was trying to transmit into these documents. Be humble. Remember that this is a process. We all deal with feedback to this extent and it is hard, but you get used to it and you learn to, you've really learned to appreciate the red and the markups. I know I'm in a place now where I'm like, Why weren't there more feedback? Why wasn't there more comment on here? What's going on? So just learning to appreciate that and being humble when you get that feedback. And I see that there are a few things in the chat. So let me check. Oh, that's the register. So yeah, anyone who got here late, please register on that link, the Google link to enter the Amazon gift card raffle. Um, Any questions so far with getting reviews by others on here? I
2: have a question this might be really simple but if you know there is something particular standing out in your applications but you're getting conflicting feedback on that um, number one like has that ever happened and then secondly like how did you go about it or how would you um, yeah just like conflicting feedback about things
1: so that has happened to me and it, for me, it was on something theoretical and the feedback I got from one person, they were—they are clearly an expert in this area and the feedback I got from someone else, they were not. So I defaulted to going the route of what the expert was telling me, but that was a much clearer, like, who should I follow here? Um, I haven't had conflicts from in other ways, though. V, you had unmuted, what were you going to say?
0: Yeah, I think I've I've gotten it for papers, I've gotten it for applications. Um I think it's always about who has the more more, more expertise in that particular area. So same t- same thing as Dominique. Um, I would say that that happened. Like if somebody is really good at grant writing and has gotten like millions of dollars, I'm probably going to default with whatever they say even if they don't even if they don't have a particular expertise in that area um, and I think just being able to say that, and, and I think in, in my case, like, that was particularly useful with, like, writing an R36 for NIH, because, um, Anne was very humble in, in that she's my advisor, and she's an expert in parenting, but if Larry said, this is the way you should write it, she was kind of accepting of that, um, so I think that's an important piece too. kind of knowing where your advisor or like the person who's reviewing it stands. Like, is this, is this like an, I've also had like, and I say that because I've had other cases where a mentor is very, um, opinionated and they didn't necessarily have expertise in that particular area, but I know where this mentor is coming from because of these personality traits. Um, they're a little bit more antagonistic so like i knew that they just wanted to be right about a particular topic so i was like you're right i will revise that and you know what they did have a point because when it came back into my reviews they commented in exactly what that person said but at the end of the day it didn't matter it was still funded so and and when it's something if it's i think that matters too if it's something major right if it's like a major piece of your project I think you need to consult a third or a fourth person. Like, if my project is on psychometrics and my analyses are wrong, like, I need to go and check with a person who, a third person who is an expert in the field, I need to go consult the literature and justify it. But if it's something very petty, like, you know, you need to include one more person on this particular topic, or you need to change all of your analyses because i like this method better like no it needs to be justified so sometimes it is a class of of just egos and being able to manage that is like another piece of academia um i don't know if that sort of answers your your question and i think i wanted to touch on the humility piece like it it's like so big if you ever send me your draft and i give you feedback i will be mean like i will shred your stuff because i don't want somebody else to do it when it's already sent and you don't get it um like i know i i think nobody else has gotten the forward of like people who have applied but i think most students who have listened to like my feedback have gotten honorable mention whereas one student who was very um i would say not humble about the feedback that i provided didn't get it and then sort of was upset that they didn't get it and it's like well i could have told by sort of your lack of humility and accepting this feedback that like this stuff wasn't gonna happen and i've been in that position before I've, I've sat in larry's class and sort of got had my stuff shredded by larry and i was happy to that he did because at the end of the day i got funded so that that's a good reminder And I know we're almost out of time, and we had some questions that people submitted last time, but I don't know if you all had questions that you wanted to answer now instead of these, which we kind of already touched on anyway.
1: I guess we don't have any questions. That's totally fine too. I'm not trying to force anyone to ask a question.
0: Yeah, we've been stopping a lot, so I appreciate that too. All right, well, I'll stop recording.